Mark chapter 3 this morning. We are in week number 9, and I do, uh, man, I'm excited about what God has for us from his word this morning. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Mark chapter 3. If not, we have uh, all the scripture that you would need on the screen for sure. Um, And so we enter this third chapter in the book of Mark, though, and I do want to remind us of a couple of truths, overarching truths from this book. And by the way, we preach through the Bible. We preach through books of the Bible. We take the next chapter, we take the next verse, and we just walk through the Bible here. And so if the Bible is what you want to hear and you don't want to hear my opinion, uh, you might be at a good place. Um, if you want to hear the Bible and not like what the culture, what's going on right now in culture, and like you're not expecting me to bring up pop culture and, and talk about what I feel about this politically and that, you may be at a good church this morning if you don't want to hear any of that mess, right? But we are in the third chapter, and this is what we need to remember. This book is highlighting Jesus as a servant, as the servant king. And so different elements of what we speak about and what Mark highlights will be Jesus coming to serve, coming to serve. And by the way, the humility that we find in our Savior, that he was not coming to reign necessarily, he was coming to serve. But also we need to keep in mind that the book of Mark was most likely written by Mark, but... The book of Mark was probably dictated by the Apostle Peter to Mark. So we'll, throughout the, these are just kind of overarching reminders. Throughout the book, we will see some things taking place. And you're like, hey, that sounds like Peter could have said that. Well, he probably did. Okay, And he, he kind of dictated that to Mark. And that's how we found it in our Bibles. But as we have seen through the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, in the early stages of this dirt road that we're walking with him, there are those who would seek to overthrow this servant king, even though he possessed no earthly throne. He was fought against, lied about, rejected, not by the sinners and not by the wicked people. No, he was fought against and lied about and rejected by what seemed to be the holy religious crowd. They're called the Pharisees. Let me just say in this this morning, practically, if you're following Jesus and you're doing a work for the Lord and you're serving others and you're loving others and you're blessing others and you're going out of your way to be a, a bright light in a dark world, well, guess what? You will probably have your fair share of Pharisees that come into your life, that question everything that you do, that, that constantly seek to overthrow you and lie about you and reject you. And so if you this morning are going through something like that in your life, It may just be confirmation that you are following Jesus as the disciples were. But we're going to see how Jesus handled these Pharisees once again in Mark chapter 3. Let's begin in the first verse. It says, And he entered the synagogue again, and the man was there who had a withered hand. May I say this very quickly? I think if the first two chapters of the book of Mark have taught us anything, we think and we firmly believe Uh, That he entered the synagogue to do what? To present his message. Remember, Jesus was not about the miracles first. He was about the message first. And so I, I firmly believe he went into the synagogue again to teach. But there was a man there who had a withered hand. By the way, I'm getting some killer feedback. We can turn me all the way off in the monitors up here. That would be awesome. 
So they watched him closely, verse 2, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. Some interesting thoughts in this passage. Some interesting truths. Help us leave here today different than the way we came. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to jump right in this morning and I want us to see that Jesus perceived their thoughts. By the way, the title, if you want to give a title, I'm not the best title giver, but is the omniscient healer this morning. The omniscient healer. Number one, I want us to see that Jesus perceived their thoughts. He entered the synagogue again. A man was there who had a withered hand. And they, meaning the Pharisees here, they watched him closely and they were thinking whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So then he says to the man who has the withered hand, step forward. And then Jesus says to them, the Pharisees, they've not verbalized anything. They're just plotting in their minds. They're just watching in their minds. And Jesus turns to them and says, hey, is it lawful for me to do good? On the Sabbath or to do bad? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. The key condemnation here about the thoughts of the Pharisees is that they completely failed to see the need of the man with the withered hand and all they were looking at was Jesus in order to judge We're going to come back to that at the end, but I want us to understand this. The condemnation of the Pharisees is that they failed to see the need. They only judged Jesus. That is the condemnation of the Pharisees. And today, as as modern-day Pharisees are in the church and modern-day Pharisees are a part of the circle of Christianity, if we're not careful today, we will miss the needs and we'll only seek to judge All they saw was this possibility that they could accuse Jesus of healing a man on the Sabbath. And boy, are they all about the Sabbath. So with these judgmental blinders on, they condemned before one word was even spoken. But here's what I love this morning. Jesus knew their thoughts without them saying a word. You remember one of the main questions that Jesus has already gotten and will continue to get as he, as he walks through his earthly ministry is, are you really the son of God, right? That's the big question. Is he, is he who he claims to be? Well, this man named Jesus who claimed to be the son of God literally just read their minds. Omniscience. The word that refers to the knowledge of all things. The omniscient healer. And may I say this this morning. A simple truth from this 
first simple point this morning of Jesus perceiving their thoughts is this. God knows. God knows. He listens. He hears. He discerns. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts in your mind. He knows the innermost secrets that are going on in your heart and in your mind. And here's what's crazy. He loves you anyway. How many of you got some messed up thoughts every now and then? Be honest. Don't lie in church. Lightning about to strike. How many of you have some messed up thoughts every now and then? Raise your hand. It's okay. Live stream. Did you catch all these people? Just kidding. Listen, God knows your thoughts and he loves you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he loves you like crazy. Take comfort this morning in that. Listen, don't be the rebellious middle schooler this morning. That's like, God knows all things. That means he knows all the bad about me. But No, no, take comfort. God knows everything about you. He knows your innermost thoughts. And he loves you like crazy. With all of your failures and with all of your flaws... With all the mess you bring to the table, he loves you. He knows. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising. You know everything about me. You understand my thought afar off. God knows. God, obviously Jesus here in deity, he knew the thoughts of the Pharisees, our, our Savior, our servant king. He was no ordinary servant this morning. He was an omniscient servant who knew every single thought. It makes me wonder this morning if Jesus knows our thoughts, then why do we hold back any communication from him? If Jesus knows the thoughts of these Pharisees before they ever utter a word. And Jesus knows the thoughts of every person this morning in this room and every person this morning watching online. He knows our thoughts. Then why do we ever hold anything back in communication from him? It's kind of like the age-old parenting. I saw you eat the candy out of the bowl. You currently have a Tootsie Roll stuck between your front two teeth. You, you have a Tootsie Roll wrapper that's hanging out of your front pocket. Do you have anything to tell me? It looks like someone got into our candy jar. No, Dad. I have no idea. And you grin and the Tootsie Roll's hanging out. Right? That's kind of the way it is with God, though. At the end of the day, he knows our thoughts, and he knows, he knows the... He knows the thoughts that you've had that you forgot you had. And he loves you. The Lord knows. He even, he even loved the Pharisees. He even did. As difficult as that is. So we see that Jesus perceived their thoughts as, as the omniscient one. But secondly this morning, I want us to see that Jesus left them speechless. I love this in, in verse 4. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. They were rendered speechless. 
I will say there are many things I am typically not rendered. And speechless leads the way. It's very difficult to catch me in a moment where I don't know what to say. Only maybe a couple of people in this room have ever been in my presence when I have been actually rendered speechless. But Jesus gets real really quickly with these people, with these Pharisees, and he asks them a very easy and logical question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Can you imagine sitting there as a Pharisee? Remember, you're not speaking. You're just thinking this. Okay, I'm going to watch him, and I'm going to see if he heals. I see the withered hand, but I'm watching Jesus. Is he going to heal? And without saying a word, I never spoke a word of it. Jesus just looks around and looks right over at me and goes, hey, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to, 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 to save or, or to kill? The way he worded his question was incredible. He was speaking to men who followed the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. He was, he was speaking to men who, who needed a black and white answer, letter of the law. Am I supposed to do this on the Sabbath, or am I supposed to do this on the Sabbath? Am I supposed to save, or am I supposed to kill? Am I supposed to do good? Am I supposed to do evil? He flips it around and asks them a very pointed question. Hey guys, your letter of the law, okay, you tell me. This man needs healing. Am I doing, supposed to do good right now, or am I supposed to do evil? He flips right back on the Pharisees and asks them a question that requires an answer. But the question hit them so hard, they had no answer. They kept silent. To heal the man would obviously be doing good, while abandoning this man in his time of need would clearly be doing evil or doing harm. Whatever course of action was chosen, something had to be done on the Sabbath. Jesus put them in such an incredible situation. Listen, this man needs healing. It's the Sabbath. What do you want me to do? Do evil on the Sabbath? I can't do evil on the Sabbath. Do good on the Sabbath? Oh, no, I can't. I can't heal on the Sabbath, can I? And he leaves them speechless. And I'll be honest, Mark in his, in his gospel here doesn't even conclude with the answer, but I think we get the answer here uh, to, his, to his question by observing what Jesus did. But I want us to notice this morning that the mouthy, judgmental Pharisees were rendered speechless. Their tongues, their critical tongues, were silenced. They had nothing to say for they had been beaten at their own game by Jesus. Jesus backed them in a corner and asked them a question that they literally could not answer. And keep up the Pharisee life. That's our incredible and awesome Savior this morning. I love in the Gospels as we will consistently see Jesus have these moments where you feel like he's like, hey, now I'm just going to show off a little bit. Hey, now I'm just going to really prove myself. And I believe this being one of them. He perceived their thoughts, number one. He left them speechless, number two. And number three, I like this because I believe it is such a great display. He displayed righteous anger. Look at verse five. When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out, your, stretch, stretch out your hand. 
And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. There was this standoff that was going on as they were watching Jesus closely. Verse 2 tells us. And now we see Jesus looks back at them with anger. You ever seen the Spider-Man meme where it's like two Spider-Men looking at each other like waiting? It was kind of like that this morning. I won't crouch down as low as I possibly could there, but was Jesus going to back down as they were watching him and he was looking back at them? Was he going to retreat and Jesus noticed their hardened hearts and he was, he was angry. He looked on them with, with anger. And by the way, Jesus didn't display anger often. If you're ever around a, a preacher or a church or a, a, any kind of a church culture that says that justifies them being jerks by saying, well, Jesus turned over the temples that one, the tables in the temple that one time. Like, run away from that, please. There's a lot more to that story, by the way, than Jesus, Jesus didn't lose his cool. There's a lot more to that story. Jesus rarely, rarely displayed anger. Rarely did. And when he did, it was calculated and it was righteous because Jesus can only be righteous. And so he displays his anger toward these Pharisees. Because it was Jesus, it was a righteous and holy anger. But notice how Jesus displayed his anger. Is it anything like you display your anger or I display my anger this morning? I don't think so. He displayed his anger by being grieved. His anger was displayed by him grieving the hardness of their hearts. And then his anger was displayed by doing good. He displayed his anger toward the Pharisees by saying, I'm healing this man right in front of you. I'm going to heal him on the Sabbath. Get over it. I'm going to heal him on the Sabbath. Judge me all you want. I'm going to heal him right here in front of your face. If only I could display my anger by doing good for other people. Only Jesus can do that. But if only I could display my anger this morning by doing good for someone else. If only I could display my anger this morning by just being grieved at the hardness of someone's heart. But this text simply shows how much higher Jesus' ways are than our ways. As we display our anger in such a fleshly way, we, we lash out with our tongues, we respond with, with harshness maybe. We say things that we know we regret instantly. No, Jesus' way is much higher than our ways. He, his anger is displayed as he looks at them. He's grieved and he heals a man. Our fleshly ways of dealing with our anger and our fleshly ways of displaying our anger this morning is often detrimental to the situation. Uh, rarely ever brings about reconciliation. In fact, it typically causes a greater divide. Jesus shows righteous anger here. What does the Bible command us to do? To be angry, but also to sin not. And Jesus displays it here. Yeah, he was angry. and Of course he was angry. By the way, Jesus never showed any anger in all the Gospels 
towards the sinner and the outcast and the dirty and the downtrodden. Any instance of anger, these, this one and, and obviously the temple being the main two, you know, you know who they were geared towards? The Pharisee. The religious zealot. The judgmental church guy. The judgmental church lady. But he displayed his anger. And we're getting somewhere. Stay with me this morning. He perceived their thoughts. He's the omniscient healer. He perceived their thoughts. He left them speechless. He displayed righteous anger. And lastly, he prepared for battle. He prepared for battle. Look at the last verse in our text this morning. Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him. How they might destroy him. And as we mentioned a little bit last week, the battle is now on. This is no longer an easy road, an easy dirt road that the disciples and Jesus were on. This was a spiritually motivated battle that they were now in. And Jesus doing good without following the Pharisaical rule book had fed fuel to the fire of his enemies. The, the Pharisees were now plotting to destroy him. It was no longer merely just questioning him. It was no longer merely just being critical of Jesus. Now the Pharisees say, we're going to destroy that man. We're going to destroy him. And notice who shows up. This is the first time that we see this group of people mentioned. Truth is, they're only mentioned a couple of other times in Scripture anyway. It's the Herodians. Funny thing about the Herodians that historians believe, the Pharisees and the Herodians did not get along. The, the Herodians, history says, were wealthy political influencers. And they pushed the rule of Rome. The Pharisees stood firmly against that in their religiosity. And so what you have here or you have the Pharisees and Herodians who don't like each other, who don't mix. They unite under a common hatred. And they say, listen, we're going to go after this man. The man that claims to be the son of God. They united on who they were against. I don't even think I have to practically apply this. I think you're getting it, right? The Pharisees united with another group over who they were against it's kind of like my fellow duke fans in the room and my state fans we kind of unite a couple times a year we unite under a common hatred all right we unite under common hatred and it's biblical as we see here <laughs> Hey, by the way, Pastor Aaron didn't open today's service like he had planned to open it. He was going to say, listen, we can just worship Jesus today. Duke fans definitely ain't got nothing to think about. Carolina fans ain't got nothing to think about. States in the NIT, who really cares about that? Liberty University got knocked out. And then for Pastor Aaron, Ohio State got knocked out as well. So, uh, you know, I saw Ohio State caught these hands. And it was a picture of the Oral Roberts praying hands that they're... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, but the fact is this, 
what should unite us shouldn't be our common hatred. It should be our unity. It should be our common togetherness. It should be the things that we're for, that we have in common, that brings us together. It should be our common passions, our common loves. I don't want partnerships this morning based upon who I'm against. I want partnerships this morning based upon who I'm for. By the way, that means every gospel preaching church in existence this morning. I'm for. I'm for it. If Jesus is being preached this morning, I'm for it. The music might look different than ours. The dress might look different than ours. They might meet at a different time than ours. I'm for it. I'm for it. If the gospel is being preached, Philippians chapter 1, Paul, even if it's preached under false pretense, if the gospel is being preached, I'm for it. I would much rather be known for who I'm for than whom I'm, who, who I'm against. And so the, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians here get together based upon who they're against. And they're going to fight now. They're going to actively fight to destroy Jesus. And you say, what does that mean, Josh? No, I mean literally to destroy him. We know where this ends. This ends with them physically placing him on a cross. They were out for blood. What they didn't know was that blood was going to be the best thing that ever happened to you and to me. But they were out for blood. The fight was on. And a fight it would definitely be. This morning, we've highlighted some wonderful attributes of the omniscient healer today. We've looked through a text this morning, but that's really not what I want to leave you with in my conclusion today. We've highlighted some some great things. We've talked about some great things, but we have failed to highlight one major thing this morning from this text. You know what it is? There was a man who had a withered hand. And this man was in the synagogue, no doubt, waiting for Jesus. There was a man in this story who woke up on Saturday morning on the Sabbath with a withered hand. And there was a man who walked home that day with a hand that was whole. You say, Josh, why, why, does, that, why, why does that matter? Because that's the important message of this text. Is that there was a man whose life was changed. There was a man who went home different than the way he came. His hand was restored as whole as the other. And and, and if you think back in those times, most men, they weren't working like IT jobs in, in the Research Triangle Park back in that day. They were working with their hands. Jesus called fishermen. Four of his first five disciples were working with their hands. And if you can imagine someone with a withered hand, that would impede their work. That would impede their ability to make money. And Jesus restored and healed this man. And my practical takeaway for us this morning is this. Don't get so focused on the mess that you overlook the miracle. I specifically structured today's sermon the way I did to overlook the actual healing that took place. 
Because if we're not careful, we will get so focused on all the other mess that we miss the miracle. Maybe I could say it this way. Don't miss how God is writing your masterpiece novel because you're so concerned with your rough draft. Listen. Don't this morning miss how God is writing your masterpiece novel because you're so concerned about your rough draft. Listen. There were judgmental Pharisees. Guess what? There are judgmental Pharisees. Guess what? There was, there was questioning going on. and There were people thinking evil thoughts towards Jesus. Guess what? There's going to be questioning going on. There's going to be all this mess and all this muddiness going on in our lives. And if we're not careful, you'll do what I did in the first four points this morning. And you'll highlight all these facts and all these things. And like, Jesus did this. And this is what happened. And this is what happened. A man was changed forever. And don't focus so much on the mess that you miss the miracle. That you miss the miracle this morning. Listen, you say, Josh, my, we're struggling. My family's struggling. So, such and such relationship is struggling. My job, well, listen, don't get so lost in the mess that you aren't also looking for the miracles that God is doing in your life. Listen, Jesus works miracles in our lives all the time. He brings things together supernaturally in our lives. And sometimes we're so focused over here on the mess that we miss the miracle over here. So often we're so focused on our rough draft and the things that we've done wrong and the things that we've gotten wrong and all these other things that are happening, the judgmentalism and all the things in our past. And we fail to see, man, God's doing some really awesome things. May I just speak to some of you who may have come from church cultures that, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it, were possibly spiritually abusive. May I say this? If you're coming out of a spiritually abusive situation, don't get so caught up in focusing on the judgmentalism that really happened to you and all the bad that really happened that you miss what Jesus is doing right now. Right now. I know in my life that I often neglect what God is doing because I'm focused. Almost so and so is being judgmental here. And they're questioning Jesus here. And this happened here. And I'm not sure what's going on here. And Jesus is going, Hey, Josh, I just healed this man. I healed him. I get focused on my mess and I miss what God's done in my life. I believe God is doing great things in your life, in my life. I believe God is doing great things in the life of our church. I really do this morning. That doesn't mean it's not messy. Oh, it's messy. The question I have for you today, are you going to focus on the mess or are you going to focus on the miracle, what God is working, what God is doing in your life? I have found that what I focus on permeates into my soul and into my spirit, from my mind, into my heart. And what I focus on 
tends to be what plays out in my reality. And I'm not, I'm not a, a psychiatrist today. I'm not trying to be like super touchy-feely. Stay away from me. Anyway, I'll fist bump you. What I'm saying is this. What you choose to focus on often plays itself out. If you walked in today and your attitude was, I really don't want to be here. And Lord, I hope we don't sing that one song. And honestly, like I know this 10 a.m. start, we get out in plenty of time, but I really want to get to some, such and such place, and I really hope he shuts up on time and gets us where we need to go. And you know what? I hope that lady in here was here last week because I spoke to her, and like I'm not sure if she even spoke back because she had her mask on. And I'm not really sure if she even acknowledged I was here. Guess what? If you came in today with that thought process, guess what? You noticed it all. You noticed it all. You focus on the mess, bro, we're messy. We're messy. Ain't none of us in here perfect. We're all messy. But if you chose to come today, you were like, you know what? I can't wait today to sit in that pew or to stand in that auditorium and focus my attention on Jesus and leave behind the cares of this world or bring those cares and lay them down at Jesus' feet this morning with my brothers and sisters in Christ and worship Jesus. And you know what's awesome, even better? I get to see other people who are coming to do the same thing. And I get to maybe meet uh, new people who are here to do the same thing. And, and, and Jesus gives me the opportunity today to come and, and really be a blessing and, and to focus on the... You can choose this morning. Focus on the mess or focus on the miracles. Yes, Jesus is the omniscient healer, the all-knowing healer that perceived the thoughts of the Pharisees who rendered them speechless this morning. He did. And oh, by the way, he healed a man. He healed a man. So this morning, I don't know what, what's going on in your life. I really don't. Some of you I do. Listen, we've got people here that are job hunting. We've got people here that are making huge life decisions. We've got people here, we got people here getting married in a couple of weeks. We've got, we got all this stuff going on. I know life can get very hectic and very messy. And maybe today I'm just asking you, press that reset button and say, Jesus, show me where, where you're working in all this mess. Show me where you're working in all this, all this stuff that's going on. Show me where you're working. If you've never met this Jesus, he is as incredible as this text. These six verses, he, has, he is as incredible as these verses present him to be. He knows everything. As we were in our connect group this past week, he's the I am. He's the word. He existed at the beginning. He existed before the beginning. In the beginning, he was. He created. He knew you were going to sin. Romans chapter 5 tells us that because of Adam's sin, and let's be honest, guys, Eve's sin, just being honest, um, because of Adam and Eve's sin, I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible, okay? Um, but uh, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we have that sinful nature. As I say this often, those of you that have kids, you never one time had to teach your kids how to do wrong. They're like little professionals. 
They like come, like before they know how to do anything, it's like they know how to do wrong. I mean, if your kids are like mine, you may have perfect kids. I don't know. Grandparents in the room, we know your grandkids ain't never done anything wrong. Okay, we get it. We were born with a sinful nature. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And he came to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. As we're studying right now in the book of Mark, he walked these dirt roads. He was tempted. And he lived a perfect life through temptation. And you and I, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. We deserve to die for our sin. You know what he did? He died for you and for me. This incredible Savior. Hey, by the way, while he was here on earth, he healed a bunch of people. Including this man. But he really existed. It's not a fairy tale. We can go tomorrow morning if you'd like. I'd go with you if you pay for it. And we can go to the Middle East. And we can go to the Holy Land. And we can historically see all of the places where all of this stuff happened. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a Disney Plus exclusive. It's not made up in the minds of some brilliant movie director. Jesus came and he lived life. He died on the cross. Listen, he died and was buried for three days. And you would have thought that everyone would have been awaiting for his, his resurrection and man, you know, he, he, he rose from the dead and there was no one there. But he rose from the dead in triumph and in victory. He did that for you. He simply offers you this. In him is life. Life eternal. That means that your life at this point, he comes in and he changes your life. And that means your life eternally it's forever with him in a place called heaven. You say, Josh, what if I don't? I, I hear you speak of Jesus. What if I just reject? I hate to tell you this. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I have to be honest. The Bible says if you reject him and you die in your sin, the Bible still says the wages of sin is, is death. That means you've got to die your own death, and that's a death in hell. The lake of fire that's really prepared, not even for you, is prepared for the devil and for his angels. But you'll be able to partake in that, and I hate that. You say, Josh, you're trying to scare me. I'm not. Salvation is not about scaring you. Salvation is about Jesus. It's about heaven. It's about what he wants to do in your life. This omniscient healer wants to save your soul this morning. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.